Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me once again today. Pleasure to have you with me. Uh, we have an interesting lineup of guests, so we're going to get right to it this morning. My first guest today is Jennifer Peak from Peak Advisory. And Jennifer's got an interesting background we're going to hear about, and she can help you uh, learn more about protecting and growing your business. And uh, she has extensive experience in behind-the-scenes tactics of startup growth, acquisitions and divestitures ranging from small companies to billion dollar companies and she provides expertise as a CPA, a certified public accountant, a certified valuation analyst or CVA, venture investor, business owner and consultant. She also has a commercial real estate investor and has owned two companies and currently serves on the board uh, of ZNRG Inc, an advisory board member of Foundation for Domestic Violence Prevention and two privately held companies. She's a very busy lady. We're really pleased to have you on the show today, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Jennifer, uh, before we get into uh, our discussion today, tell me a little bit about uh, you and your background and give our listeners a a sense of of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. So you touched on a few of my um, elements of my background. I'll, I'll go over those a little bit more. I am a certified public accountant, and I'm also certified to do business valuations. Um, both of those things fit very nicely into the consulting and advisory work that, that we do with our clients. And we don't have to use them on every client, um, but they're, they're highly valuable um, in, in all of the aspects of the work that we do. Backing up a little bit, I started out my career in public accounting as an auditor and then did that for about five years. And then I moved to a Fortune 50 company where I worked for over 15 years. And during my time there, I worked both on the the day-to-day accounting and financial reporting, as well as serving a role in uh, the majority of the mergers and acquisitions that the company did. So those are are definitely the elements of my billion-dollar experience more than my smaller to mid-sized company experience. But the the value from participating in those transactions was really starting to understand the process and knowing where options and opportunities were going to exist and where things could really go wrong. So that is the experience that I then took with me when I started my own company about nine years ago. And on I the noticed personal on your side. Yeah, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Go, go, go right, no, go right uh, ahead. All I was going to say Finish was on, on the personal <laughs> side, <laughs> on the personal <laughs> side, I live in Kansas city. So right in the middle of the United States and, uh, 
my husband and I are getting ready to be empty nesters, so I'm sure there will be plenty of things to come with that. Well, I'm, our, a lot of our listeners have that in common with you. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was looking at your website, and it looks like you, you promote that you work um, very heavily with women-owned businesses, and that number of women-owned businesses is really on the rise. Um, why do you enjoy working with women-owned businesses so much? You know, there's there's a couple of reasons. One is um, because I own a women-led business, and, and the folks that work for me are primarily females. But the other thing that I have found is that as there have become to be more and more women business owners in the in every industry that that we've worked with, there is um, some catch-up that's going on, if you will, in terms of women looking more strongly at building full companies and eventually building those companies to an end, which I think is something that you didn't necessarily see 10 to 15 years ago. And the, the great part about working with those women business owners is that it really does help them create a legacy of the company that they're building and, um, and move into that next stage of whatever it is that they want to do. We find a lot of our business owners have some element of being a serial entrepreneur in one way or another. And it's always great to see people be able to complete one business, hand it off to the next generation, if you will, whomever that may be, and do the next thing that excites them. Great answer. You know, I'm wondering, because um, I work a lot with, with business owners of all types, you know, and uh, I, I was wondering, is there a, a higher propensity of women-owned businesses in your research um, to continue the business as a legacy business, uh, pass it on to family members? Is there any delineation there um, between uh, men, uh, male-owned businesses and female-owned businesses? You know, I haven't really seen any to date. Um, I do think that there is a focus of women business owners on what that legacy is going to be more so than I've seen it with male business owners. And I don't know, what I don't know, right, is whether that's just a female propensity to plan ahead more or if there's something else that goes with that. Yeah, we don't want to start a war, a war of the genders. We want to be politically correct here, of course. But I'm just wondering, you know, if women um, might might uh, care more about their employees' futures, and you know, a lot of times uh, that that's what legacy businesses are all about is they don't want the culture that, that they've built up carefully over the years to change for a financial transaction. Um, so I was just wondering if you had any any. Uh, feedback or thoughts about yeah, that. I, I think, yeah, I think that that culture is definitely a big element of what I see with my women business owners, that they're much, that there's a very strong focus on creating that, maintaining it, and making sure that it's going to continue into the future. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's would be my inclination. So that's what I was wondering. And I haven't seen statistics to that effect either yet. Uh, when you work with business owners, what are the three biggest value driver elements or, or things that, that grow their business uh, that business owners uh, you find often overlook? So there's, there's, well, there's 
certainly three. There's more than this, but these are the ones that I find to be two things. One, the most common, and then secondly, the one that have the most bang for the buck. Um, so the, the first one is really having an employee structure that um, fills the key processes, of, like, of, for lack of a better way to put it right, like a fleshed out organizational chart. Um, the, the opposite of this is what I call the VIP owner. So if you have an owner that's serving a critical value role, i.e. they're the face of the company, they're the main salesperson, they're the ones that answer all of the questions and dictate all of the operations, um, those are value minimizers and having an employee organization that really covers those key things is important to the value of the company. Um, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but certainly one of them is that it gives you multiple opportunities for who you might sell your company to. If an owner has to replace themselves with somebody that has very specific skill sets, then the, the population of who they can sell their company to is going to be greatly minimized. And, and, and the value, therefore, is also going to be minimized. The, yeah, the second... The item go ahead let's let's talk about that one for a second because that that's a common area that we find in a lot of smaller and in even emerging mid-sized businesses is the owners the owners have a complex job right structure yeah. they they do a lot and then they build support around themselves a lot of the time and you know when you think about like a, a cpa like yourself um who you know, that's you. That's your expertise. You've built your your practice around you, or uh, even uh, doctors and other service professionals, uh, small attorneys. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that. In, in that, you know, well, uh, I don't have enough budget to keep hiring employees until I don't have anything to do. And if I don't have anything to do, then what am I doing? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, it's a you tough know, one. And, and you, you want to make sure that you're still profitable for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but like so you say, if you don't replace that. yourself, if you don't replace yourself, then you're never going to sell your business because there's nothing to sell but, but you and your services. That's right. And, and, and the, I think the balance in replacing yourself is doing it in a smart way. So, what is the critical value element? And I'll use an extreme example just for sake of, of illustration, right? So if we have a business owner who is doing the bookkeeping and is the primary salesperson, well, what they need to do is replace themselves as the primary salesperson. And it doesn't have to be done years and years ahead of when they plan to sell. It just needs to be in place as they get ready to sell. Um, whereas a function like bookkeeping, that's very easy for somebody else to pick up. It doesn't have to be transitioned until the sale itself mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Okay, so that was that was your number one. I'm sorry I interrupted, but that's such yeah. an important point. I wanted to make sure our listeners heard your expert advice there. Um, the second one is what I'll refer to as customer diversification. And there's several different ways to think about this. The classic one is that, you know, customer A is 50% of my sales. So that's, and, and it's to a name, right? It's that other company um, or that person, whatever the case may be. 
But the other things that um, business owners may want to consider when it comes to diversification is geography. Um, Now, depending upon the company that you have, you may not be able to diversify outside of a certain geography because it's a retail location or, using your example, it's a doctor where somebody needs to come visit them. Um, But there are are times where you can geographically diversify, and, and that certainly has benefits to it. Um, other types of diversification are customer type. So a lot of our customers are construction or construction-related companies. And so we like to see a, a mix of residential versus commercial, um, big, really large companies, as well as smaller companies. So having different types of customers. And, and all of those things come into play because – they can help companies currently and in the future better weather changes in the economy. So you don't have all of your customers moving the same direction at the same time, whether that's increasing their buying from you or decreasing their buying from you. That's a great tip, great point. And uh, a lot of people are are stuck with maybe they get a, a huge client and that becomes a large part of their business um, and they think, well, um, it, we're gonna. It's gonna take all all we can do just to keep up with orders from that particular customer, um, and they and they might stop thinking about diversification. But uh, boy, if they ever lose that big customer, they're in a world of hurt. Yes, and and one other, and I and I know this isn't. We're not really talking about buying a business, but one other point that I want to make about that, and it it ultimately. It impacts the value, but it also impacts a a business owner's ability to sell their company because the buyer may not be able to buy it in that there are certain, if a buyer has to get financing to buy the company, there are certain loan requirements um, around that. And some of those are tied to whether you have a concentration on your customer. So there are some down downstream benefits to diversifying your customer base that you may not think about in the immediate near term. Excellent. So employee structure and client diversification or customer diversification. What's number three? Number three, near and dear to my heart, right, is what I call the cleanliness of the financial statements. And, you know, lots of small business owners, mid-sized business owners, um, have a lot of personal expenses that they run through the business. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. And, and that could be anything from the owner's salary to bill, you know, to their health insurance and, and maybe some travel. Right. So there's all of, and they're mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. common. Um, mm-hmm. But the 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 ability to separate those and to identify those as expenses that the business wouldn't have going forward after a sale um, is important. And the other thing that's important is that there's just that you know we can see when the customers are being invoiced. We know where the revenue is coming from. We know that the bank accounts are being reconciled. Um, And it's it's something that a lot of business owners um, may or may not be aware of that they need to be on top of before they list their company. But one of the things that we've seen is having all of that information in order 
um, as they get to listing their company and getting into an offer stage just provides a huge amount of credibility with the buyer right out of the gate, right? So if you don't have your tax returns ready, if you don't have your financial statements in order, um, you're going to lose some credibility with your buyer immediately on stuff that they're going to think is pretty easy and pretty common. And now they could start to be a little questioning of some of Mm -hmm. the other information. So we want to minimize that and make the process as smooth as possible. And the best time to do it is when you're getting ready. Really good points. Really good points. Um, Now, I have one question around that because we hear more and more about um, the attractiveness of reoccurring revenues. Everybody's headed towards Mm -hmm. that. I mean, everybody who can is putting subscription-based, you know, uh, fee structures in. For instance, I bought a, a printer from HP not too long ago, and they, they sold me a subscription for the ink, you know, so they get $10 a month instead of waiting for me to run out of ink. Um, is it important to delineate that, or, or is it helpful to delineate reoccurring revenue streams on your financial statements from, from just general? Okay. Yeah, absolutely, and that is an excellent point. Um, so, you know, one of the things that buyers really like to see is some sort of pipeline or some sort of consistency in the revenue stream to where it's not, I have to go out and drum up 100% new customers all the time. Um, because, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to drum up 100% new customers all of the time. So having some sort of recurring revenue stream, whether that's contractual, um, so or whether it's just recurring by nature of the fact that there's um, like your, your printer ink, right? Like you're not going to be able to use that printer you bought if you don't have ink. Um, and what companies are trying to do is we're making it easier for the consumer so they don't have to worry about buying their ink. But at the same time, the company itself is also solidifying when they can expect you to buy ink. Uh, the the mm-hmm. other related recurring revenue, if you want to call it that, are contracts, right? So if you have contracts with customers that are longer term in nature, right, a three-year contract to provide IT support services, you know, a five-year contract to do all of the maintenance on buildings, those types of things are also highly valuable because you've got a contracted price, you've got a contracted customer, you've got specifics around how and when they can exit the contract. There may be built-in price increases. You know, real estate, while we're not really talking about that, is an excellent example of a long-term contract, right? You have leases in place for part of the building at specific rates. So that's a Mm -hmm. very old-school way of thinking about contracted income, but, you know, it can apply to a number of businesses. Great, great tips. Uh, wonderful talking with you, and, and, and I'm really enjoying our conversation. Unfortunately, as often happens, uh, we, we're reaching the end of our, our interview without really scratching the surface on a lot of the things that you can talk about. So I hope that you'll come back and join us again, Jennifer. But before you go, tell our listeners the best way that they can get in touch with you or what your website address and what they might find there in the next minute or two. Sure. Um So our website address is peakadvisory.com. That's P as in Paul, E-E-K, advisory. We're Peak Advisory Group. 
And there's there's a contact form there. There's our, our certainly our contact information. You can call us directly. You can also connect with me individually on LinkedIn. I'm at Jennifer J. Peak is the specific LinkedIn, but you'll find me there. Last name is P as in Paul, A-E-K. We like to say it's Peekaboo. Um, it's an easy way for people to remember how to spell our last name. Um, and those are the two best ways to get in touch with me uh, and, and just find out more about the services we can provide. We do. We have all ranges of businesses we work with. Some of our clients we work with on a longer-term basis, and some of them we work with on a project basis. Um, the best way to find out how we can best help you is to just give us a call because every company is unique. You do a terrific job of explaining some very complex uh, structures, uh, and I, I really do hope that you'll come back and join me again someday soon, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to the next time we speak. Thanks. I do as well. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 